Welcome back, friends, to yet another edition of the Disney List. My name's Al John Go, one of your co-hosts. Kristen is out. I am out. But we wanted to at least give you a show for this week, and we had to dig deep, way deep, into the vault to deliver you Tony Baxter, former Senior Vice President of Creative Development at Walt Disney Imagineering. He is going to be giving you a little backstage tour of the Haunted Mansion. Tell you, Tony is great. He's so much fun. Every time we see him do a panel or, you know, we had him on Skull Rock Podcast, which was great. He's awesome. And you're going to get to know a little bit of a guest list, if you will, of cool facts about one of our favorite attractions, the Haunted Mansion. So go backstage, enjoy yourself, and we'll be back soon with another brand new edition of the Disney list. And uh, I know you're going to dig this show anyway, so this is great. Okay. If you want to catch what we're doing, you want to send us messages, feel free to hit us up on social. You know where to find us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and then you can also send us those emails at the Disney list at gmail.com. All right, cool. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the show. Leave us those five-star reviews. Send us those reviews. They're great. And now, enjoy Tony Baxter with a flashback episode from October 23rd of 2015. Right here on the Disney list. Enjoy. I'm Al John Go, podcaster and producer of the Disney List, Skull Rock Podcast, and Dining at Disney. When you're creating content, podcast, webcasting, live streaming, or wanting to step up your video conference calls, you need quality gear and accessories. That's why I use Gator Frameworks in my studio. From professional broadcast boom arms and microphone stands, studio monitor speaker stands, ring light kits, headphone holders, elite furniture studio desks, and acoustic wall treatments, Gator Frameworks has you covered. Gator is the leading brand of cases, stands, and support system solutions for music, pro AV, creative pro, IT, and general utility industries. They have over 1,000 different solutions made from vacuum-formed plastics, rational molded plastics, wood, sewn, and EVA materials. Leveraging their expertise in case design and manufacturing, Gator has a complete OEM division that works with leading companies around the world to engineer and create custom cases for original equipment manufacturers. For more information, visit Gator Frame works.com product provided in exchange for promotional consideration sorcerer radio srsounds.com leave your show comments requests and discussion topics on the new wdw tiki room voicemail call 850-888-TIKI that's 850-888-8454 and don't forget to follow us on twitter and facebook at wdw tiki room Ladies and gentlemen, we are currently holding for further traffic clearance. Check out Kristen's new website, MagicalJourneysVacations.com. For all your vacation needs, Disney, Universal, Cruise Lines, and more. Thank you for traveling with us. MagicalJourneysVacations.com. Have her book your magical vacation today. You're going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer. The following is an original production of the Sorcerer Radio Network. Are you insane? Broadcasting live from Music City. Walt Disney's... WDW Tiki Room, the show about all things Disney. Hey, Michael.
Michael, me amigo. Pay attention, it's showtime. So it is. And what darling people I have sitting under me. With Kristen and Al John. They better start the show rolling. Thanks for tuning in to yet another edition of WWT Crew, the show about all things Disney on Sorcerer Radio. I'm your host, Al John Go, and this week, Kristen and myself are at the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival, so feel free to follow us at WWT Crew, at Jedi Masketeer, and Kristen, of course, at Dining at Disney. And we're going to be Instagramming and Facebooking all kinds of really great pictures from the event. And uh, you'll get to hear our trip report on this uh, event coming up in the next few weeks. So be sure to check that out. As Halloween draws near, we have a very special edition of the show today with former Senior Vice President of Creative Development of Walt Disney Imagineering, Mr. Tony Baxter, as he explains the ins and outs of the most popular dark ride of all, the Haunted Mansion. Sit back and enjoy this very special edition of WDWT Room and the Haunted Mansion on Sorcerer Radio. Here we are standing out in front of the Haunted Mansion in Florida, and while the shows inside uh, are very recognizable, one with the, the next, the exterior greatly differ from park to park. And here in Florida, the original uh, design called for kind of a a continuation of the Liberty Square kind of uh, colonial architecture, kind of a grand manor house from the colonial period. But it was ultimately decided very late in the game, it was just maybe a year and a half before the opening, and the ride was already under construction, that the facade really needed to speak to the guests and say haunted. So it was taken again from the architects and given to Claude Coates, whose background was cinema and film, and he created a very abstract facade here in which the scale of the ornaments and so forth is way uh, larger than normal uh, to convey the sense of kind of like foreboding, claw-like additions uh, to the house. So it's a, a very sinister uh, look on the outside, which was not consistent with Disneyland in California, where, as the story goes, Walt wanted to take care of the outside, so they created a plantation house that looks absolutely perfect, well-groomed, and the evil starts once you step inside. But uh, in Florida, when they looked at it, it just blended too much with the rest of the architecture. So um, the decision was made to go far more radically into the, the look that you see here, which is much more of a gothic um, horror to it. And this design was taken intact to Tokyo. So the third uh, mansion looks very much like uh, Florida here. In fact, if you were there, you would, once you go inside, the, the story inside is exactly the same also. Now, a big departure was made when we took the show to Paris, where Gothic graveyards and Gothic mansions are what the neighborhood looks like in Paris. So we decided once again to change it. And it uh, is situated in Frontierland. So the Haunted Mansion in Paris reflects uh, a land baron from the Gold Rush era. And uh, the look and, and aging on the outside reflects the fact that uh, when the gold ran out, so did all the live people, and it's fallen into disrepair, and, and the only folks that live in that mansion in Paris are the ghosts. 
The name was changed in Paris to Phantom Manor, and that's because it's a word that's readable in English and French, whereas Haunted Mansion, had we kept the same title, would be Maison de Haunt, which would have been very difficult for an English-speaking person to understand uh, what that meant, whereas Phantom Manor is Phantom Manor, uh, and only one letter changes. So the name changed, and the exterior really speaks there to the haunted nature of it. So it looks depressed, it looks foreboding, uh, and it looks like the kind of place that you'd expect to find the 999 happy haunts. All right, welcome foolish mortals to the Haunted Mansion. Uh, I don't proclaim to be an expert on this. It was completed while I was a ride operator at Disneyland in 1969. And it's one of the few attractions that was created for Disneyland and Walt Disney World at the same time. Because in 1969, they were well aware of building Florida and they knew there was going to be a Haunted Mansion there. So many of the figures and things that were developed for Disneyland were built simultaneously and put into storage for one year and brought to Florida. And in 1971, in April, which uh, was about six months before the opening in October, this ride was virtually finished and locked uh, up because so much of it had been produced early on, you know, in the sick, late 60s for uh, both Disneyland and here that we were done way in advance and the doors were locked and the show was ready to go. Uh, there's a lot of legends about the characters here in the graveyard, so I'll try to remember all the people that were still working in Imagineering at that time. The first tombstone here, Grandpa Mark, that's Mark Davis, who is kind of the grandfather of all theme park designers. Mark Davis not only was responsible for a lot of the Haunted Mansion, but Pirates of the Caribbean and um, America Sings in California and of course the Country Bear Jamboree in Florida, uh, as well as many of the characters that we know in Disney animation like Cinderella and Cruella DeVille and Maleficent Sleeping Beauty. Uh, next up is Francis Xavier, that's Exitancio, and Ex uh, is uh, responsible for the, the uh, scripting and the lyrics to uh, much of what's in the Haunted Mansion and the pirate song, uh, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me. And X goes back to the studio too, having co-animated the uh, uh, stop-motion animation for Mary Poppins and Babes in Toyland, the Toy Soldiers, and so forth. And in the back, uh, here lies a man named Martin. That was Bill Martin, the architect for the project. And Bill, again, goes back to Disneyland, did a lot of Frontierland, Nature's Wonderland in California before coming down here. And, and Bill really took a lead architectural role over the whole Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom. Brother Dave was my first mentor in the model shop. Dave was a dimensional designer uh, at WDI when I started. He was kind of a, um, what would I say, not one of the senior fellows. He was down more at my level, so he kind of took me under his wing. And when I came to Florida uh, and Dave was installing 20,000 leagues, I kind of became his assistant, and that was my first uh, job. And Dave Burkhart now is leading the effort for a company that I won't mention that makes motion pictures and theme parks and he's developing their park in Japan. Uh, Master Gracie is Yale Gracie, the head of special effects for all the infant years of Imagineering uh, and Yale was responsible for all the illusions that are in the Haunted Mansion as well as the fire effects and everything that become uh, so much a part of the Pirates of the Caribbean. 
Uncle Mile here is Chuck Mile, again, an architectural uh, uh, founder of the Imagineering Group. And Chuck Mile, again, was very much responsible with Bill Martin for a lot of the architectural aspects of uh, Walt Disney World's opening crew. Way in the back, I don't know if we can even get enough light on it, I think it's Gordon. And this was Gordon Williams, who was head of the sound department in Imagineering during the uh, years that the initial Walt Disney World was uh, created. Uh, cousin Hewitt was Ralph Hewitt, and Ralph was uh, a show set and illustrative type person, again, with a good studio background. And Ralph did a lot of the uh, set designs and so forth inside the show. Wafel. Our bender is, of course, Waithel Rogers, who's uh, a veteran of all things Disney here in the uh, beginning years. Waithel uh, pioneered the development of audiometronics and did much of the programming for all of the attractions here in the Magic Kingdom. Uh, good old Fred. Again, Fred was one of the original Imagineers. This is Fred Jerger. And Fred Jerger, Harriet Burns, and uh, uh, Bob Sewell started the model shop with Walt Disney with, with about five other employees. That was all that Walt Disney Imagineering, which was called WED, W-E-D at the time, uh, literally they were the pioneers. And they did all the very first things that went into Disneyland. And Fred uh, stayed with Imagineering through the development of Epcot. He's now retired. But but he's a wonderful man that is responsible for all the miniatures uh, that made up the models that became the guides for these attractions. Mr. Sewell, Bob Sewell, was my boss. He was head of the model shop uh, in Imagineering when I started. He uh, was hired by Walt Disney to do the Grand Canyon diorama for the trains in California, uh, which is a very beautifully done museum-like diorama that the guests pass through while they're riding the train around the park. And last but not least is Claude Coates. And Claude was a very quiet man and didn't get a lot of the credit that he really deserves. Claude uh, was a background painter. And while backgrounds support animation in film, the backgrounds are what rides are all about because you are the animation going through the ride and the ride is the background come to life that you travel through. So from a guest standpoint at a park, the backgrounds are the most important things, whereas in film, the characters are more important. So Claude, with his background experience from the studio, doing everything from Snow White all the way up through Lady and the Tramp, transferred over and created what we might consider the, the rooms or spaces that you travel through in Pirates of the Caribbean, Snow White's Adventures, and the Haunted Mansion. Claude also was responsible for designing the exterior that you see as you come up to the Haunted Mansion, what the house itself looks like. So there's our cast of characters. I don't think there's any attraction we've ever built that has more myths about it than the Haunted Mansion. The rumor that I remember when I was a ride operator in California was that it had stayed closed for nearly eight years in California because a woman had died of a heart attack inside the ride. It was so horrifying when it was finished in 1963 in California, but the ride didn't get constructed or 
show itself until 1969. Now, in Paris, we strengthened the story because uh, I'd heard so many versions of it, it, it's hard to interpret what is real. Basically, you're coming into a house that's filled with haunted spirits, and the story is just that. It's a haunted house. Things jump out and scare you, and illusions mystify you as you go through it. And if there's nothing more than that, I don't think it matters because the storytelling is generic. Uh, we have several rides that work this way. Pirates of the Caribbean is another good example. People read the sign and they expect to find all the things that pirates do. When they read the sign Haunted Mansion, I think they expect to find all the things that go on in a haunted house. And uh, for the most part, the Haunted Mansion delivers that because we have 999 haunted sequences in here, supposedly. So we can manifest different ghouls and, and ghoulies. So the first thing here is the changing portrait, which is in the Grand Hall. And we try to think of him, at least my way of interpreting it, is this is the Phantom of the Manor. And this is a portrait of him in his better days. Um, and as we move then into the stretching rooms and listen to his narrative, uh, it gradually unfolds that he may not be with us in the flesh anymore because after we get to the end of this sequence, it's revealed up in the ceiling that he's not much more than a pile of bones at this point. And we hear a hideous laugh at the end of this sequence, which guides us then into the rest of the show, where he's more of a poltergeist or a, uh, a spirit that accompanies us narrative-wise through the rest of the show. One of the things uh, that people, I think, do notice in the Haunted Mansion, no matter which one, or Phantom Manor, is the attention to detail. Something as simple as a handrail here uh, is an actual bronze casting that's unique to this. In fact, last year at Disneyland, we cast miniatures of this, and they sold out instantly, and now you'd have to buy one on eBay. Uh, but uh, that's the interest in the lore that's uh, surrounding this. Can you imagine selling a handrail off of any other attraction? But look at the detail. And when the lighting in here is normal, you can barely see this. It's just a silhouette. Um, the Haunted Mansion had kind of a yin and a yang pulling at it. When Walt Disney died, there is a wonderful uh, video that you can see, just before he died, I'm sorry, uh, that showed Walt taking a tour through Imagineering and meeting with uh, different Imagineers that were working on the project. And you see Rolly Crump, and he shares with you some of the things, and there's some illusions that are revealed. And it's a very different Haunted Mansion that we see at that point. And I think Walt was kind of encouraging a lot of Imagineers to develop what they thought a Haunted Mansion would be. So there was Rolly, and there was Yale, and there was Claude, and there was Mark Davis. And when Walt passed away, um, the two main designers, Mark Davis and Claude Coates, who'd worked so well together uh, on Pirates, I think wanted their own autonomy. And so I think Claude thought that the house should be a, uh, a very frightening experience, more like a real haunted house. And Mark, with his background in animation, saw the humor in it and wanted to go in that direction. And so I think there was quite a bit of tension trying to decide, is it a scary house? Is it a funny house? How are we going to handle this? And I think the results, rather than Walt Disney voting the way he would have had he lived to that point and saying, all right, I've looked at all the things. 
here's what we can do and probably directed it more one way or the other. I think it ended up being uh, trying to please all the designers and a little bit of everyone's flavor is in this and I think that's why this show is a little hard to follow in terms of a linear story as opposed to the generic story that I was saying about coming into a haunted house and seeing an amazing assortment of crazy and frightful and funny uh, you know, illusions and characters the way it, it actually turned out. Now, if I was going to try and guess as to how uh, the project was sliced up, it looks to me like Claude was probably responsible for the first half of the show, and as we get towards the second act in the graveyard, that Mark Davis became more influential. So, um, and this is just speculation on my part, I would think that while they both worked on the whole thing, the influences of Claude are more noticeable in the in the front half through the attic and then uh, clearly Mark Davis is responsible for the content in the graveyard you know that would be and, and then adding to that are touches left over from the haunted mansion we saw on that telecast that Rolly Crump was responsible for as well as many illusions in here that are uh, you know clearly in Yale Gracie's court Right now we're in the Portrait Gallery, which is unique here to Florida and Tokyo. Uh, it's occurring on the ride. It's one of the first scenes you see after boarding the uh, Omnimovers, or Doom Buggies, as they're called for the guests. Um, this sequence occurs at Disneyland uh, in a little bit different fashion in a Portrait Gallery that you walk through out of stepping uh, out of the elevator. And I might say elevator literally in California because you do descend uh, in the experience from the level of the park to an underground experience that takes you out from the park under the train tracks and into the show. Whereas here in Florida, because we're built on a basement, uh, the elevator sequence is actually a rising chamber that goes up uh, and the guests stay level, but the illusion is that you're going down. So it works pretty well in conveying the same effect that, Florida, that California gets by actually taking guests down. After they come out of that in California, they walk through the portrait gallery and uh, through the moving bus down at the end and then board the cars. But both of those effects work a lot better uh, in the, uh, while your attention is kind of focused in a, in a car like this. So it was decided after doing Disneyland that we would uh, put it in an area where as you go by you see the paintings and the uh, characters in sculpture move because you're actually moving by them. In California, sometimes they're overlooked because you're walking down the corridor talking to your friends and you don't notice the movement as much. So you get a better effect here, and I think these two scenes add a couple minutes to the running time of the ride and flush it out a little bit better. Now, oddly enough, in Paris, we went back to the Disneyland track because once again, we actually use it as an elevator to take people down and out of the park under the, uh, uh, the railroad. So um, all of them are different, original concepts, and uh, so is Gypsy one, I believe, but uh, the rest have been created here, and I don't think they reflect the subtleties of Mark's designs. They're a little bit less refined than those those particular pieces. I believe that Mark may have done the original sketch for the Sea Captain, but the painting there, uh, I don't believe, was uh, directed by Mark. This is part of the original storytelling for the show. This is the Sea Captain. And the first Yale Gracie effect that uh, I've heard many people recount seeing this was of a sea captain 
in a walkthrough show. So before they came up with uh, Omnimovers and uh, boats, uh, they had decided you'd walk through the Haunted Mansion and you went into a chamber and the wind blew the doors open on the back side while the guests were standing watching this. And in came a boat with a sea captain who told the story of the Haunted Mansion. And as he did, he began to dissolve and the puddle of water that flooded the floor dries up. And at the end, there's just a few little globs of liquid where the sea captain uh, stood originally at the start of the scene. And I guess it was quite chilling. Everyone said that, that saw it just said it was absolutely amazing. But it took about two minutes for the action to unfold where the doors opened and the sea captain came in and, um, and then the little story that set it up. Well, you can imagine if you had 10 guests and they had to stand in space and watch that for two minutes, your capacity for the day would be about 300 an hour. Well, you know, that just doesn't work in the park. So when the invention of this device came about, the whole thing was changed. And all that exists from that story is this painting, which was done from the original storyboard sketches of that sequence uh, for the original show. As you can see in this video, as you move by at a controlled speed, you get quite an illusion of dimensionality out of this bus, like it's following you. And the reason that we put it here on the ride where the cars go by is it makes each guest focus on that because you can't look anywhere else. And so a lot more people get the illusion here than we did in California where you get to walk by it and you may not be paying attention. This is the uh, third of the rooms that's unique to this show. Just after this experience is where the Disneyland show starts. Uh, this is the music room, and uh, we thought this was so good that we recently installed it in Disneyland, but it, because we did not have the space, we had to put it up in the attic. So later on in the walkthrough, I'll show you where uh, the piano sequence has been added to uh, the Disneyland show. Now, once again, the silhouette here performing the piano solo is apparently the Phantom of the Manor that we saw out in the beginning and is also up in the uh, belfry in the stretching room. And we assume that this is the same character here playing uh, the ghostly tune that's banged out on the piano. This is the first scene uh, after boarding your vehicle in California. And uh, it occurs now as the fourth element here in Florida. And uh, this is called the Endless Corridor, and you can see the candelabra down there uh, moving ghostily through the, the corridor. Now, we felt it wasn't enough storytelling in Paris, so what we worked on over there is setting up a, a conflict between the Phantom, who we've seen three times before, and who we imagined was holding this uh, candlestick. So in this sequence in Paris, we have a bride who's waiting for the Phantom, to come and uh, celebrate a marriage in our ballroom scene up ahead. And we introduce the Phantom similarly to how we do here, and then the bride appears moments before this scene, and then we see her down in this hall, and it's quite an, a, a nice illusion where she's there with the candelabra, and then the bride disappears and all that's floating in the room is the candelabra. So we added kind of some punch to this scene. Ooh, this cover is covered with spit. Okay. Uh, all right. 
everywhere you look in the Haunted Mansion, one of the fun things is how many places faces have been worked into the set. Most of them are intentional, but if you work really hard, you can find some that uh, are part of actually the architecture or the tapestries on the wall. But here you can see, obviously, a face that's worked into the embroidery work on the chair. Um, and we'll go down here where I think the most famous face sequence is the wallpaper in this sequence where every bit of the design is literally, uh, you know, ghouls and beasties uh, uh, looking at you. When I'm asked, we'll count out the 999 happy haunts, we're going to come up short if we're talking about audio animatronics and illusion. So then I tell everyone, well, have you counted all the faces in the wallpaper? And they go, well, no. And I said, okay, there's your 999. I don't know what to say about this piece other than obviously someone has passed from this life to the next. And in our little story that we elaborated on for Paris, we assumed that this was the end of the earthly time frame for our phantom. So this might represent a moment in time when the phantom passed from the, the life as we know it into the other world. So let's assume that this little claw is part of the fellow that we've been following all the way through the show. Okay, Claude Coates was one of the designers that was most responsible, I think, for the whole first half of the attraction. And the movie that guided a lot of the things that you see in this sequence was called The Haunting. Now, The Haunting was recently remade by a movie that I think uh, was nowhere near as effective as the original black and white that starred Claire Bloom and, uh, oh, I can't think of the other actress. Uh, uh, oh, I can't think of her name. I all forget. I remember it. But in the movie, they were trapped in a very psychologically possessed house. And one of the amazing things in it was how the doors throbbed and pulsed with a horrible sound. Uh, for the day in the 1960s, it was amazing that that could come over your television set. I remember seeing it at home and being scared to death uh, by this movie. Unfortunately, what we're hearing here is too, uh, what would I say, there's too much impact in it. It's clack, clack, clack in the house here, whereas in the haunting it was And someday I would love to come in here and deaden this practical sound and go with a which would give you a far more ghostly effect. But it was based on the film The Haunting. You're, you're looking at a raven, and if you look very closely throughout the ride, the, the raven appears in many different sequences, in the graveyard and, and going down through the trees and uh, in this sequence here. And I have found very early soundtracks that have the raven as narrator. Well, it's really obnoxious. Uh, whoever did the voicing, it, it was almost as though it was a human voicing a raven. So it was as though you were reading and it said, caw, caw. He took the coward's way out, caw. And that was the original recording that you heard at the end of the stretching room. And then my assumption is that the raven was to narrate the rest of the way through. Well, fortunately, they got Paul Fries, who became the voice of the a ghost host uh, and narrates through the show. And uh, it's our belief that he's also kind of the phantom of the manor. this because we should never see the haunted mansion the way we're looking at it today because the magic only comes when 
it's uh, under show conditions. Uh, Madame Leota's seance here is a uh, transitional point in the show because everything up to this is anticipating the arrival of spirits and the unknown, whereas from this point on we're going to be in the presence of fully dimensionalized and, and real and animated characters. Madame Leota uh, is a character based on one of the WDI employees. Uh, her name was Leota Toombs, and she worked here at Walt Disney World for the last part of her career in SQS. She had the first SQS. Actually, there are three people right here behind the Haunted Mansion, behind the cafeteria where employees come in. We had our first office, which was a single wide trailer with three desks in it. And it was Lee Nessler, Lee Toombs, and I think, um, uh, uh, I, I saw him today, Tom Radowski. Sorry, Tom. Uh, we just met again today, but uh, that was it. That was the start of SQS. And um, so Leota uh, was asked, because she had a very beautiful face, to take this uh, role in which she was strapped into a very rigid harness and made to deliver the lines, um, you know, with ghoulies and ghosties from last Halloween, awaken the spirits with your tambourine, and so forth. And she did it many times, and uh, they loved her facial actions, but they wanted a more frightening voice to accompany it. So they got Eleanor Audley, who'd done the voice of uh, the Queen of Hearts and Maleficent, and, uh, excuse me, not the Queen of Hearts, Maleficent and, uh, uh, many other very frightening roles. I know that's the one that's my favorite. I'll think of some of the other ones. And uh, Julie Harris was the lady that was in the original Haunting, by the way. Things come back. Um, and so Leota recorded the visuals, and then Eleanor oddly matched to her uh, visual take. And um, I say it's a transition because as Madame Leota summons the spirits here, uh, you know, we go from a thing where we just kind of allude to uh, the characters to the grand ballroom just beyond this where they actually come to life. Um, and so that's, let's head on down and take a look there. Well, here we are in the centerpiece of the Haunted Mansion, no pun intended. Um, this is the ballroom. And normally, you'll see this table filled with all kinds of spirits that materialize before your eyes. Directly behind me, there are four or five couples waltzing away while the organist at the end of the room plays. Of course, you can't see any of those characters today because we violated all the rules in making the magic happen here. So uh, take my word for it. This is kind of the astounding sequence that everybody talks about. Sometimes things that are in front of us every day like the illusion that makes this possible, that we see every day while we sit at our desks and look out the window, um, are employed here, but taken out of context, you don't realize how simple something is uh, when it's right in front of your face. So when we say these are ghosts, and you look at them, that's what you see is ghosts. Whereas when you see it in the real world, in a daily way, um, you see it as something entirely different that's uh, not magical in, in any sense. But taken out of context, put into this environment, this is probably the most memorable and talked about illusion. Uh, many people refer to this as giant holograms. I think people say it's a hologram when they can't understand it. It's kind of like voodoo in the old days. Oh, it must be voodoo. Today, everyone says, oh, it's a hologram, and that explains the unexplainable. Well, it's not a hologram, but it is an amazing illusion called Pepper's Ghost, and I'll leave it to all of you to look that up. It's been around for over 100 years, and uh, it still never ceases to amaze people. Um, 
In the story, this is uh, the area that Madame Leota has conjured up, uh, and I think, for me, this might have been the party uh, to celebrate the marriage or the, uh, the getting together of our hero and heroine, or evil villain and villainess in the story, however you want to look at it. Uh, and we intensified that meaning when we did it in Paris. We see in Paris the bride up on the balcony there, and at, just outside the window there is the Santa wishing to come through, but unable. And what we do in that show, which is a little bit different, is periodically everybody at the ball disappears except the bride, and she's left alone. And this is a premonition about what her life will be in the future. This is a terrible story. And uh, then everybody comes back, and so they fade in and out. But during that whole thing, our bride is left uh, in the room uh, through the whole experience. So uh, it's a little bit of a premonition for what's going to lie ahead in the attic. We have left the ballroom, and we now find ourselves high up in the attic of the house. And uh, this is another legendary room in the show. Um, right where I'm standing right here is the bride. Now, in Paris, we greatly expanded the bride's role, and she ages through the show. So we see her a young, hopeful bride at the beginning, waiting for the Phantom. Something awful has happened to the Phantom. Uh, and he does not materialize, and she waits, and she waits, and it becomes almost a Miss Havisham situation, so that by the time in Paris that we see the bride here, she's obviously much older than she was, and is literally waiting at death's doorstep to become another one of the 999 happy haunts. But the story is even more convoluted, because in this very spot, when Disneyland opened, was a notorious hatbox ghost. And if you look at some of the publicity around that time, you'll see the great uh, you know, effects designer, Yale Gracie, posing with this ghost. And the way he stood was about like this, and he was kind of a mean guy. And his head disappeared and then appeared in a box that was for holding hats here. So this head came on and then this one went away. And evidently when they ran this at WDI or WED, uh, at the time. It worked great in a controlled room, but here inside of a ride where guests go by and see it from all different angles, uh, evidently the illusion didn't meet expectations. Plus, it was really kind of grisly. And uh, so, as a ride operator, I was given an opportunity to ride the ride about a week before opening. We were able to go around for two hours. And each time we'd get into the seance area, we'd yell across to other friends saying, did you see that? Next time look for this and so forth. And I remember distinctly this is where it was. But before the ride opened, that figure was gone. And uh, nobody knows the whereabouts. None of the molds exist. None of the characters exist. It completely vanished. So the whereabouts of the Catbox ghost is to this day a mystery. But I can attest to the fact that I saw it in this very spot originally. Now that yeah, begs the question of where was the bride? Well, the bride was directly behind us in the corner over there that's been filled in with junk. Now, because we had an empty space with no storytelling, and if you notice, the Omnimovers points at that particular place in the show with nothing to see. So in California, this is where we put a broken down piano, and we put the Phantom there playing Here Comes the Bride. And it's a very melancholy, done, 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 done. 
and we listen to that, we see him in the top hat, and again, the assumption is the Phantom has passed on to the other world and is unable to get back to his long-waiting bride. And when we turn around from that, we see, in fact, she has waited a long time. We don't have it in this position. We have her sitting at her makeup table, and the makeup table looks like a skull. And the foggy parts that are covered with cobwebs form the solid part of the skull, and the holes that are still mirror-like form the eyes. So we see her looking into her future, which is death. Okay, we've now come out of the attic onto the uppermost balcony and are about to fall into the graveyard. A lot of people don't understand that we are literally falling off the balcony of the house and down into the uh, graves. Um, but that is in fact what is happening at this point. And from this point on, I mentioned earlier that the ride takes a different attitude. And whether this was the end of one art director's reign and the beginning of another, I'm not sure. But the music changes from very macabre and ghost-like to an almost upbeat syncopation to it here. So there's a dun da da dun da da dun da da dun that accompanies the grim grinning ghost song that takes over at this point in the in the show. Um, also, from this point on, we're one-on-one -on -one with the ghost, so we've more or less passed from the realm of human uh, as a spectator looking at all the ghosts to a point where we're literally involved on left and right and all around with the spirits. If you can turn the camera on the house, this is a very interesting, another question about this story. We're clearly looking at a Victorian home with a shake roof, okay? Here in Florida, we entered a Gothic uh, stone structure. In California, we entered an antebellum plantation. And in uh, Paris, we skirted the whole problem by taking you into a completely different ending. So when we leave the house, we're invited by the Phantom to enter the afterlife. So there's a grave that's being turned over by the Phantom, and he's pointing the way, inviting us into the grave, and we literally fall back down beneath the earth, past a lot of coffins that are there resting, and at the bottom of the fall, we find all the coffins are opening, and there's a big hooping, hollering kind of uh, celebration in Ghost Town. Now we switched it to a western ghost town instead of a gothic graveyard because in Paris we're totally surrounded by graveyards of that ilk. Like Pierre Lachaise is world renowned as a place that you can go and really get the sense that we have here in this American version of the Haunted Mansion and, and it's real. This is where Van Morrison is buried and there's every night awake with everybody out there doing every kind of thing you can imagine in a graveyard. It's a very amazing experience to see if you're in Paris. But when we land in our uh, Phantom Manor, in the bottom of this, we come into an area that looks like a little ghost town, and it's come to life with all the spirits uh, in, in revelry, and we felt that the coyotes bailing at the moon in a Monument Valley kind of setting would be far more appetizing when you play it against the backdrop of Paris than recreating something that they see every day. So this was where the major change in the show occurred when we changed it from the Haunted Mansion to the Phantom Manor in Paris. This is a classic Mark Davis uh, pose. Mark was absolutely the king of saying everything visually, not having to have any narration. 
looking at these two characters, you can tell exactly what's going on. Here we have the uh, graveyard keeper and his very, shall we say, emaciated and frightened dog. And these are reflections of what our emotions are at this point in the show. So the amazement and the shock of what he's seeing and what the dog is cowering from is sort of a way of us in the cars looking at this and anticipating what it is we're gonna be involved in seeing in a minute later. Well, here in the graveyard, as they said in the song, the spooks have uh, assembled for a swinging wake. And uh, probably the most talked about element are the singing bus who are asleep right now. Uh, but these characters really brought a whole new dimension to what we could do in animation and really became a trend after this was introduced. Uh, in every direction in here behind what is known as a scrim, the, because of the lighting of the camera makes it the, the wall appear opaque, uh, the scrim actually creates an atmosphere. It's like fog and we insert scrims between different layers of sets so that it looks like it's deeper and deeper back into the fog. And it's a very loose-knit material that gives you that dimension. But around us, in every direction here, are the disembodied spirits from all over the globe. So we have Egyptian mummies and opera singers and uh, gentlemen from England and on and on around the world. The seafarer is up ahead that you saw in the first painting. Uh, and so he did manage to creep into the show here near the end. But I think the assembly here is just to convey all the spirits from the world convening here at the Haunted Mansion for this kind of rousing celebration uh, of the afterlife. Now, if you remember earlier in the, <coughs> excuse me, in the portrait gallery, we saw the sea captain. Well, as I said, he makes a guest appearance here in the afterlife. Uh, you can see him sitting here drinking tea. Uh, communicating with all the other poor souls that have uh, fallen victim to this wreck of the hearse, I mean. But that's who I believe that character is uh, derived from. Okay, uh, again, we're surrounded with an opera medieval times and uh, a little bit of hunchback I think of Notre Dame over there on the end so again I think it was all aimed at conveying the sense of a cacophony of, of ghosts from all over the world assembling here. Now, right behind me again the raven makes an appearance and uh, in the bites of dialogue that I heard originally for this particular character it was caw, caw, beware of hitchhiking ghosts, caw. Uh, and of course now that dialogue is carried by our ghost host or our phantom character uh, who accompanies us in the car. So here are hitchhiking ghosts that were referred to in the narration above and then the payoff is going to be directly behind us where one of these three jumps into the car with us. You can see the hitchhiking ghosts that actually join with our guests in the car. And again, a very interesting illusion. Now, uh, we decided once again in Paris that we could make it a little more creepy. Uh, when the ghost appears in the car, it's really magical, but you know it's not there because you're sitting in the car. So what we did in Paris, we see the arms coming over the top of the cab that you're riding in, starting to come down 
on the visitors from above, just out of their sight. So it's much more frightening to think about what you can't see than it is about what you can see. But when all is said and done, I think this is a more magical moment because it's the last scene in the ride uh, in California, close to the end here. And it leaves people with a smile when it's a character that's funny and it's in the car. So perhaps this was the best way, I don't know. We tried to change it. It is different in Paris, but either way, it's a really an amazing gag. Up behind me here is the last character in the ride, and this is called Little Leota, and it was voiced and performed by Leota Toombs, interesting last name. Leota's husband was Harvey Toombs, who was one of the great animators from the studio's heyday back in the 40s. And Leota did Madame Leota, the full-size uh, head in the, ball, in the uh, seance room, and she also did this. And everyone was so disappointed that they didn't get to hear Lee's voice up there with Madame Leota in the large bowl that they created a second uh, opportunity for her here. And when you hear the final lines of the show, hurry back, hurry back, that is actually Leota, who worked for many years uh, at WDI WED uh, in California, developing the Tiki Birds and many of the other things that were part of Disneyland's early history. And then she came to Florida working here in SQS. And oftentimes when tours would come through and we'd always say, and this is Madame Leota from the Haunted Mansion, and she was embarrassed about it. And they said, well, you don't sound like Leota. And she would say, well, do you expect me to walk around going, how are you? You know, so uh, it was sort of a forced voice for her. And, uh, but she always, we always enjoyed uh, uh, telling everyone about this. Now, the interesting thing in terms of Disney history, her daughter, uh, Kim uh, Irvine Allison, is uh, our head art director in California at Disneyland. And uh, she you know, is carrying on the tradition of her mother doing the same role that her mother performed many years here in Florida. Below me here is a belt that brings the ride to a dead end. And uh, I don't know if the stories I've shared with you are totally what was originally intended here. It's uh, one person's impression, and we tried to squeeze as much out of it as we could in laying out the story for Paris. Unfortunately, Paris, because of the multiple languages, there's five commonly spoken languages in, in uh, the area of France. We decided not to use narration in the show, so we no longer have the ghost hosts accompanying you which I think in the end made it very hard to understand that story also. So even though we went to great lengths to strengthen the story, uh, losing the ability to narrate, I think, softened uh, its uh, ability to come across to the guests. But whatever I think the you know, real story is here, we take people into something that's haunted. It looks that way from the outside. It's very mysterious as you enter it. And one by one, truly amazing things have been uh, inspiring and exciting and terrifying people for nearly 30 years. And here's our newest member in the cast of the Haunted Mansion, old Dobbin here, pulling the hearse. And uh, he was one of our SQS uh, enhancement program projects. He's got a spider web growing in there now too, so uh, we always try to keep things fresh and this has become quite a photo spot out here in front of the, the entrance to the park mansion. Now, as a cast member here at the Haunted Mansion, this is probably one of the most fun jobs you can get, I think, in the Magic Kingdom because clearly the costume is one of the most beautiful to wear. You know, you feel really good wearing this costume. It makes everyone look good. 
Um, it is a host that represents part of the help here at the Haunted Mansion. So you're, you're in a maid or butler type role as part of the Haunted Mansion. Now the reason I like it is if you're not particularly feeling good today, this is one show where you can be a little bit sour uh, when you welcome our guests in. You know, in fact, the more you play with it this way, I think the better. Um, so as you come to the door, you're not a happy hostess, you're more of a step this way, please. A very dour, kind of sinister, a little bit, um, you know, just very pompous. And you probably never elevate to, hi, welcome to the Haunted Mansion. You know, that's something we do at Small World or practically everywhere else at Disney. But this is one place, I think, where you can have a little bit of fun and actually stay in character by keeping a almost, uh, what is, the, the guards in London, you know, that uh, stand at the Queen's Palace and everybody tries to make them crack a smile. I think that's part of maybe the role here is to sort of present yourself in a very solemn way. It's almost as though a funeral or a, uh, an event of that nature was about to take place. And so as you come out, nobody wants to disturb the dead. And everybody that's welcomed in is given a very cautious kind of welcome as opposed to, hi, I'm your hostess Beverly here and I'm in the Haunted No, I don't think we want to do that. We really want to keep it down. And uh, this is one place, like I said, that I think we can really vary the type of experiences in how we handle the guests. And uh, it doesn't mean being mean to people, but I think it means keeping your character down and a little bit reserved instead of up and fresh the way uh, we would almost insist that employees be everywhere else. So enjoy and have fun. Hurry back, hurry back. We hope you enjoyed our very special edition of the Haunted Mansion Backstage with Tony Baxter on WDW Tiki Room. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at WDW Tiki Room. And this week, Chris and myself once again will be at the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival doing all kinds of events in and around the Walt Disney World Resort. So be sure to follow Kristen at Dining at Disney on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. Follow me at Jedi Mouseketeer. And of course, follow both of us and our latest show updates. We're going to be uploading more great stuff from New York Comic Con, including the Pretty Little Liars panel star wars battlegrounds panel and so much more in the coming weeks there at wdw tiki room on twitter facebook and of course you can subscribe to our show on itunes and very special highlighted uh, parts of the show as well itunes is a great place to check it out and it's courtesy of the weeby geeks network your catch-all for all things wdw tiki room at our website wdwtikiroom.com you can click on our links to fandango purchase tickets to star wars the force awakens which by the way we broke down a trailer for that on wdw after dark our sister show the late night show for disney fans wdwafterdark.com and uh, you can subscribe to that podcast as well and uh kristen's dining at disney podcast and of course great great shows like eat ticket time uh you can uh, download and subscribe to those shows too on the Weeby Geeks Network at WeebyGeeks.net. So, anyway, thank you so much on behalf of Kristen. My name is Al John Go, and we'll see you real soon. Have a great week. This podcast is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its holdings and is intended for entertainment purposes. Do you hear that? Hear what? I'm receiving some sort of transmission routed through the main system. Routing. Through.
Looking to take a Disney vacation or cruise? Contact Kristen of MagicalJourneysVacations.com. Magical Journeys is an authorized Disney vacation planner. Kristen will get you the best price available and continue to search for deals until the day you travel, taking the worry out of planning your fantastic vacation. Kristen can help plan your dining reservations and answer any questions you may have. She'll even send you maps from the parks. So contact Kristen of Magical Journeys for your next cruise or Disney vacation. And you'll be supporting WDW Tiki Room. Contact Kristen of Magical Journeys at MagicalJourneysVacations.com and mention Sorcerer Radio. So what are you waiting for? Book today at MagicalJourneysVacations.com. Wow, that sounds great. I want to go. Well, you can't. Why not? Because we have to stay at our posts and keep rebel scum like him out. Book today at MagicalJourneysVacations.com. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the geek revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Listen to Weeby Geeks podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or online at WeebyGeeks.net. Weeby Geeks, your voice for the geek revolution. Want to know more? Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, Al John Goh and Dave Bossert. If you just love to learn more about the magic that embodies animated films, theme park attractions, and more, the all-encompassing universe created and produced by the genius of Walt Disney has spanned nearly 100 years in counting. From his earliest film endeavors with the Laughagram cartoons and the Alice comedies, to the creation of Mickey Mouse, to the first animated feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and then dreaming up Disneyland, Walt Disney continuously raised the creative bar, and today his company has carried on that tradition as a global entertainment juggernaut. I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, and author. And I'm Al John Go, musician, podcaster, and radio guy. Every week, Dave and I will explore the entertainment galaxy that is Disney with insightful conversation, stories, and special guests talking all things Disney. Listen to never-before-heard stories and behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and so much more from knowledgeable, insightful, and thought-provoking hosts and guests. Hear the latest news about Disney past, present, and future. Skull Rock Podcast is your go-to source for the magic we all love. Skull Rock Podcast. Visit SkullRockPodcast.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney Podcast. Every week I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth.